0: SECTION 1 OF LIVES OF THE ANCIENT PHILOSOPHERS This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. LIVES OF THE ANCIENT PHILOSOPHERS BY FRANCOIS FENELON LIFE OF FENELON, ARCHBISHOP OF Cambrai, PART 1 francis de solignac de Mont fanilon archbishop of cambrai was born in the castle of fenelon in perigord on the sixth of august sixteen fifty one his ancestors were equally distinguished for their bravery and their learning insomuch that his own name was said to be the ninth which had reflected literary honor on the house of salignac he had the good fortune to be taken in his childhood under the especial care of his uncle the marquis de fenelon a nobleman who united in himself the virtues of all his race and who was pronounced by the great conde to be equally fitted for the field for conversation and for the cabinet brought up under the direction of such a character and sheltered in the bosom of retirement from all society or discourse that could corrupt his tender mind, Fenelon from his earliest years gave promise of all the useful talents and mild graces which throughout life distinguished him and rendered him as respected as he was beloved. Having resolved to devote himself to the service of the church, he was sent at twelve years of age to the university of cowers to commence his studies which he went to paris to finish and preached in that city when he was only nineteen years of age with the greatest success his uncle however though delighted with his youthful eloquence was too prudent and too truly religious not to tremble at the possibility of his being led away by the applause of men and tempted to make his discourses like some in the present day the vehicles of mere declamation and inflated sentiment he therefore advised him to observe silence in public and devote his private hours to study and meditation until his knowledge should be matured and he might feel himself qualified to instruct conscientiously in his sacred vocation Fénélon willingly followed advice of which his own modesty and piety showed him the propriety and devoted himself silently and sedulously to the improvement of his moral and intellectual powers the two great parties that divided religious opinions at that time in france were the jesuits and the jansenists to the institution of the jesuits no other that has yet appeared in civilized society can bear any comparison in point of foresight depth of design and energy of action never was lord bacon's maxim that knowledge is power more fully exemplified than in the history of these men versed in every species of human learning they derived from it all the consideration which superior information invariably commands. Devoting themselves in all countries more especially to the education of youth, they gained over the minds of their pupils, whilst yet pliant, an influence which continued almost without an exception to the latest hour of their lives. Careless of themselves individually, there were no hardships, no privations they were not willing to undergo, no sacrifices they were not ready to make in order to advance the cause of science in general and to aggrandize their own order in particular they were dispersed either openly or in disguise not only throughout the civilized world but to the remotest corners of the habitable globe embracing all orders and classes of society their address and acquirements rendered them the most formidable political engine that ever existed and it was only at last by grasping at what might be termed absolute power over the human mind that they lost the influence which in the first instance their talents and learning and contempt of all considerations merely selfish had deservedly gained very different were the habits and doctrines of the jansenists so called from their founder jansenius bishop of ypres who by plunging into a controversy respecting the nature of grace and free will not only found no end in wandering mazes lost but laid the foundation of a dispute respecting inexplicable terms which continued throughout two centuries convulsing at intervals both the church and state of france to their very centres among the jansenists the house of arnaud stood conspicuous one of that family was abbess of port royal a convent situated in a solitary uncultivated tract of land in the neighbourhood of paris more resembling a desert then anything could have been expected to appear so immediately in the vicinity of one of the gayest capitals in Europe. Several of this lady's relations were also members of this community. The celebrated Anthony d'Alno, the two Le Maître, Le Sassy, and several other persons of rank and talent, retired to the same spot and spent their whole time in prayer and study the writings of many of the illustrious solitaries of port royal are to be reckoned among the ablest compositions in the french language but unfortunately they devoted their contemplations too exclusively to themes of a merely speculative nature of providence foreknowledge will and fate fixed fate free will and knowledge absolute and their sentiments too often betrayed the gloom into which unsatisfied inquiry always plunges the mind the mildness of Fenelon's disposition and the sweetness of his views respecting the nature and attributes of the eternal creator of all things rendered the discouraging doctrines and immoderate severity of the jansenists particularly disagreeable to him with the jesuits on the contrary he was much pleased and remained attached to them throughout life won by their courtesy their learning and their active benevolence nevertheless he joined himself to the Sulpicion, a community of secular priests who far inferior in renown either to the jesuits or jansenists yet commanded universal respect by the unassuming piety with which they devoted their exertions to the service of the church, in her most obscure and humble functions, within which modest and useful line of duty they uniformly confined their efforts. After continuing his studies for some time under the abbe Tronson, prior of the convent of Saint Sulpice, Fenelon was ordained priest in that seminary in his twenty-fourth year and passed the three following years in complete retirement he then at the desire of the curate of the parish of st began to deliver a course of familiar explanations of the old and new testaments on sundays and festivals and these first made him known to the public he was shortly afterwards appointed confessor and spiritual director to a community of females who had been gained over from the protestant to the catholic faith and about the same time he formed an intimacy with the celebrated bossuet the most eloquent of french or perhaps of any orator of modern times and with the abbé de fleury a man as distinguished for the endowments of his mind as the purity of his manners In the unreserved society of these persons, Fenelon passed at this juncture many of his happiest hours, strengthening his piety by their precepts and his virtues by their example. Fenelon had entertained thoughts in the beginning of his religious career of transporting himself to Canada and devoting his life to the conversion of the savages, but the delicate state of his health rendering it improbable that he would be able to bear the rigour of so severe a climate he changed his determination and resolved to dedicate himself to the missions of the east soon however a field was opened to him at home for his utmost labours by the short-sighted bigotry of louis the fourteenth that monarch on the twenty third of august sixteen eighty five absolutely and entirely revoked the edict of nantes by which henry the fourth granted to the huguenots or protestants the free exercise of their religion and placed them nearly on a level in equality of civil rights with his other subjects these unfortunate persons now seeing themselves exposed to every species of persecution and insult quitted france by thousands and dispersing themselves in the different protestant states enriched them with their arts and industry whilst they at the same time taught them to execrate the tyranny by which they were eventually to be benefited the success with which fenelon had acquitted himself of the duties of his office as a catholic priest in all matters where protestants or newly made converts were concerned made Louis desirous of securing his services towards gaining over such huguenots as still remained in the kingdom. The province of Poitou was appointed for the scene of his labors. Before he entered upon them, he was presented to Louis. The king desired him to state any wishes that he might entertain connected with his mission. The only request he made was that the troops and every species of military parade might be removed far from the province of which he was to have the direction violence and persecution of any description whatsoever were not only odious but sinful in the eyes of Fenelon. sincerity and love were his weapons and with these arms alone he won to his way of thinking many whom no dangers could have terrified from their original faith, whilst on the contrary, other hapless provinces were desolated with fire and sword without being able, in a single instance, to shake the firmness of the wretched sufferers who nobly sacrificed both property and life rather than assent with their lips to doctrines which they could not believe in their hearts. The principles on which Fenelon acted himself he labored to impart more especially to those who were likely one day to have dominion over others to prince charles the son of james the second better known by the name of the pretender he earnestly recommended toleration in religious matters should he ever be restored to the throne of his ancestors no human power said he can force the impenetrable entrenchments of the freedom of the mind compulsion never persuades it only makes hypocrites when kings interfere in matters of religion they enslave instead of protecting it give civil liberty to all not by approving all religions as indifferent but by patiently permitting what god permits and by endeavouring to teach persons a right mode of thinking by mildness and persuasion soon after the return of fenelon from his successful mission into Poitou, he was appointed preceptor to the duke of burgundy the duke of anjou and the duke of berry the three sons of the dauphin fenelon entered upon his important office with religious solicitude regarding the happiness of millions as connected with the dispositions of his pupils the training them to virtue and especially forming the character of the eldest who was destined one day to ascend the throne of france became the subject of his most anxious thoughts his noblest ambition the duke of burgundy was one of those singular beings who appear equally qualified by nature for the most exalted virtue or the most degraded vice and whose bias depends entirely on the hand by which it may be given at the time that fenelon undertook the direction of him it must be acknowledged that the preponderance turned towards all that was unpromising the duke of burgundy says the duke de saint-simon in his memoirs was born terrible and during his first years continued to be an object of terror to those around him hard-hearted angry to the extreme of passion even against inanimate objects impetuous to a degree of fury incapable of bearing the least opposition to his wishes even from time or climate without putting himself into paroxysms of rage that made one tremble for his existence a condition in which I have often seen him, stubborn in the highest degree, insatiable in the pursuit of every kind of pleasure, addicted to the gratifications of the table and violent hunting, delighted to a degree of ecstasy with music and with deep play in which, however, he could not bear to lose, and by his violence made it dangerous to any one to engage with him in fine abandoned to all the passions and transported by every kind of enjoyment often ferocious naturally cruel barbarous in his raillery seizing the ridiculous with astonishing justness high as the clouds in his own opinion considering other men as atoms to which he bore no resemblance and regarding even his brothers though educated on an equality with himself only as intermediate beings between him and the rest of the human race such is the picture of this prince by one who was personally acquainted with him from his cradle happily his talents bore full proportion to his faults and under the exquisite discernment and judicious tenderness of Fenelon, who felt an almost parental attachment for his royal pupil and whose plans were fully entered into and aided by his co-adjutors the abbe de fleury the abbe de langueron and father le valois the prince gradually became all that could be wished from the abyss which i have described says saint simon there arose a prince affable gentle moderate patient modest humble austere only to himself attentive to his duties and sensible of their great extent his only object appeared to be to acquit himself of all that might be expected of him as a son and subject and to qualify himself for his future obligations to relate the means by which fenelon accomplished so extraordinary and desirable a change in the moral nature of his pupil at the same time that he stored his mind with every species of information would be to relate a complete system of education one of the most fortunate that ever was attempted but in the present brief memoir the detail would be too minute the great secret after all of fenelon's success was his own worth his learning his piety his sincerity his disinterestedness and his independence joined to perfect consistency of conduct on all occasions commanded respect his sweetness his benevolence the courtesy of his demeanour the tenderness of his feelings the warmth of his affections THE POETICAL CAST OF HIS IMAGINATION STORED WITH THE MOST DELIGHTFUL IMAGES ALL INSPIRED LOVE. HE CORRECTED THE FAULTS OF HIS PUPIL AND CHERISHED HIS VIRTUES BY THE SAME MEANS. HE PERPETUALLY DELINEATED HIS PORTRAIT UNDER WHATEVER ASPECT IT MIGHT APPEAR IN A SERIES OF THE MOST INTERESTING FABLES. SELF-LOVE TAUGHT THE DUKE TO SEEK FOR THEIR VERY INMOST MEANING self-love taught him at first to correct the faults which when written down he could not bear to contemplate and the powerful bond of habit once broken through better feelings taught him to preserve that victory over himself for conscience sake which in the first instance he had attempted only for the admiration of those around him Fénélon now began to reap the harvest in a worldly point of view of all his excellencies his success in the education of his pupils particularly in that of the duke of burgundy had rendered his name renowned throughout the kingdom and his conciliating manners had obtained him the personal regard of all who knew him louis the fourteenth presented him to the abbey of st valery one of the richest in france and afterwards named him archbishop of Cambrai, he was consecrated in the chapel of st cyr in the presence of madame de maintenon and his three royal pupils and presented the rare spectacle of merit rewarded without envy or malice endeavouring to subtract from its deserts the time was however rapidly approaching when the very virtues of Fenelon were to lead him into misfortune. In every age of Christianity, there have always existed some individuals, among different denominations of Christians, who have aimed at a sublime spirituality above visible objects and natural feelings, and attempted by assiduous prayer and abstraction from terrestrial things to raise themselves to an intellectual contemplation of the deity and a sensible communion with him among them may particularly be distinguished the quietists as they called themselves from their considering a state of calm contemplativeness and passive abandonment of themselves to the divine will as the highest pitch of wisdom and virtue these people increased so rapidly towards the end of the sixteenth century under the influence of michael de molinos a spanish priest who resided at rome that they drew down upon themselves the censures of the pope and suffered much persecution in consequence their doctrines were for some time after kept greatly out of sight or at least expressed in very guarded language the open revival of them in the reign of louis the fourteenth originated with madame de gaillon a lady descended from a respectable family in possession of an ample fortune and gifted by nature with all that is most lovely and most captivating in the female form and mind left a widow very early in life her morals remained to her dying day without reproach notwithstanding the endeavours of her enemies to throw odium upon them having placed herself under the spiritual direction of father la comte who had been a disciple of molinos she became tinctured with his views and having composed two works in illustration of them she traversed great part of france making everywhere friends and proselytes with inconceivable rapidity At length, she arrived in Paris, and her graces and her eloquence soon procured her admittance to the private parties at the Hotel de Beauvilliers, where Madame de Maintenon used to dine once or twice a week with the Duke de Beauvilliers, one of the most estimable noblemen France ever knew, his wife, a daughter of the celebrated Colbert, and their own immediate connections all ceremony and pomp were banished from these social and intellectual meetings the court was excluded from them Fenelon alone was admitted a constant and a valued guest in him madame de guillon found a willing hearer she descanted before him on the pure and abstract love of god for his own perfection and the exquisite bliss of a soul absorbed in the contemplation of his goodness and resigned to his will and removed alike from all considerations of hope or fear she touched a nerve of exquisite sensibility in her hearer and it vibrated through his heart which glowed within him as she spoke doctrines sublime and peaceful in themselves promulgated by a female of the first endowments sanctioned by a man so eminent as fenelon and received by madame de maintenon in the zenith of her power all but the acknowledged consort of the king of france doctrines with such advantages could not fail of becoming popular the court itself soon exhibited the singular spectacle of an assemblage of fashionable contemplatists waiting for pious ecstasies and beatific visions the clergy became alarmed at the prospect of a religion being diffused which struck at the root of all forms and ceremonies they pronounced it a dangerous innovation chimerical in theory subversive in practice of the true spirit of religion and leading indirectly to a frightful laxity of morals The bigotry of Madame de Maintenon took the alarm at such a representation, and from that time she openly professed herself the enemy of quietism and of Madame de Guillon. Fénelon, however, remained unshaken in his attachment to both, and was in consequence involved in a controversy of the most afflicting nature insomuch as he had in it for his bitterest opponent his venerable friend bossuet to whom he had for years looked up with almost filial reverence it would swell this memoir too much to enter into a minute examination of the merits of a dispute which though for eighteen months retaining complete possession of the public mind throughout france and the papal states is now never alluded to or thought of excepting to show to how much persecution a good man may be unjustly exposed and how much his goodness will enable him to endure without repining in defence of madame de guillon Fenelon had written the maxims of the saints consisting chiefly of extracts from the writings of the early fathers respecting what is termed among the mystics the interior life this book though abounding with the sublimest thoughts drew down upon its author the heaviest indignities the wish to place the doctrines of the quietists in a candid point of view was confounded with an attempt to vindicate all the errors and absurdities into which too literal an acceptation of them might lead Fenelon was banished, notwithstanding the tears of the Duke of Burgundy, who threw himself at the feet of his grandfather, the king, entreating him not to send away his beloved preceptor. The royal displeasure was extended to every one who bore the name of Fenelon, or claimed consanguinity or friendship with him. The Pope himself, though sitting in judgment at that time on the theological opinions of Fenelon, was shocked at the severity with which he was treated and exclaimed to himself with great emotion when he heard of it expulerunt nepotem expulerunt consanguineos expulerunt amicos." his nephew his relations his friends they have turned them all out of doors in ecclesiastical language to be banished simply means to confine a bishop to his diocese exactly the place where he ought to be according to honest martin luther who says bishop means by the sheep signifying that one in that sacred office ought never to be far from his flock it was well for fenelon that he placed his greatest happiness in being among the people of his pasture his banishment to cambrai was no banishment to him excepting as his friends were involved in his disgrace he had suffered two years to elapse without paying a second visit to court after the first where he had been received by louis with the highest marks of favour on his return from the province of poitou he who could voluntarily observe an absence of that duration was not likely to be affected by one much longer which was not of his own seeking whilst Fenelon was employed at cambrai in the discharge of every duty of his sacred office and the exercise of every virtue that could throw a holy radiance over the human character the storm still raged from without he was attacked on all sides chiefly by bossuet opinions were imputed to him which he had never entertained he was compelled to exonerate himself from them for the honor of religion itself he took up his pen reluctantly but it was tipped with fire and wrought conviction in the hearts of his readers at length his wrongs and mortifications reached their height the pope evidently against his will if not against his judgment but goaded on by the careless importunities of louis the fourteenth who felt the simplicity of fenelon's faith and the purity of his life a reproof to his own conduct in both matters at last pronounced sentence of condemnation against the maxims of the saints and particularly against twenty-three of the propositions contained in it as liable to give offence to pious ears erroneous in doctrine and pernicious in practice it was now that the character of fenelon appeared in its loveliest light he who to use the language of the chancellor d'aguesseau in a speech which president hainault styles an eternal honor to his memory he who had fought like a lion in defense of his work whilst there was a chance of victory Or even of not being conquered, submitted in an instant like the lowliest sheep of his flock. End of section one. Recording by Linda Johnson.